For a lot of administrators, you know, they're worried about the day-to-day -day operation of their clinical staff. You know, they don't have time to go worry about, hey, I'm, I'm short, you know, 20 housekeepers. Where do I go find 20 housekeepers? They're worried about, hey, I'm short, you know, 20 nurses and I need these nurses to run the ICUs. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Let's Talk Solutions, Canna Conversations with Healthcare Leaders. I'm Amy Fritzer, and introducing our new co-host, John Amos. Thanks, Amy. I'm super happy to be here and be a part of the podcast and get a chance to be on the inside of all the candid conversations. Uh, this week, we're discussing uh, some of the various staffing and recruiting challenges that hospitals are facing across the country. Uh, while obviously there's no silver bullet, uh, we are going to dive in today to some of the uh, some of the ways hospitals and healthcare leaders can actually overcome some of these challenges, uh, create a work culture that doesn't just attract team members, but also makes them want to stay, and then how outsourcing can offer creative solutions when it comes to this issue. And we're joined by Chris Persiaga and Jonathan Beveridge who are both presidents of EVS for HHS. And together they have a combined 36 years experience managing all aspects of operations for a variety of healthcare facilities. So welcome Chris and JB, thank you for joining us today. We appreciate it and let's get started. So uh, you both have a combined 36 years of experience managing all aspects of operations and variety of healthcare facilities. And just real quick, would you mind just telling us a little bit about your backgrounds and how you how you both came into healthcare support services operations? Yeah, absolutely. So my background, Amy, I, uh, I started off as a medical officer, in the, a medical service officer in the U.S. Army, where support services was under my umbrella. And then over the course of 13 years, you know, I got to manage healthcare operations from Iraq uh, to combat ground operations to uh, military treatment facilities, uh, small clinics, uh, and things like that. And then uh, upon transition of, you know, the U.S. Army, I came into corporate healthcare, where uh, I, I came in as a wound care director managing uh, a sector of wound care here in Northeast uh, Texas. And then from there, my career took off into operations, hospital operations. I became a CEO and then got to learn support services more in detail there. And then from that point, I jumped, you know, here to HHS. And that's what's brought me all to you all. So what about you, JB? For me, I, uh, I actually worked my way through school as a restaurant manager and um, graduated uh, college and Kept uh, kept my restaurant career for about another six months until I applied for HHS and uh, started <laughs> with HHS almost 16 years ago as an assistant director and have just uh, progressively worked my way up since. So you guys obviously both have uh, quite a bit of experience uh, in in healthcare and then in EVS and support services too. Um, in terms of right now, we're going to be talking about like staffing and recruiting and the challenges that um, the industry is facing as a whole. But I'm curious what what you guys kind of takes are on just what the the challenges are kind of across the board and then what you're seeing as, um, you know, ways to manage that as best you can out in the field, what you're kind of seeing that works, doesn't work, and uh, kind of what your thoughts are on that. I think the biggest thing for us right now with recruitment and retention is is it's it's different for every market. So you can, what works in Nashville, Tennessee is not going to work in Houston. It's not going to work in, you know, Orlando, Florida. I would say the, the, the tools that we have though, between recruiting resources, active recruiting with our leadership out on the community um, and, and the, the tools we arm them with from a financial incentive standpoint with retention bonuses, recruitment bonuses, et cetera, 
uh, help help us uh, to be able to identify candidates and uh, get them in. And then again, the best recruitment strategy is is retention. So, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I agree with JV a hundred percent. It's a tough market. You know, what we see in the larger cities is where we see that fierce competition. Uh, you know, we're competing with not just the healthcare industry, but hospitality, uh, service, you know, services, Amazon, uh, delivery services like that. And, you know, for us, it's, it's about being creative. You know, Jonathan and I were part of this Southwest University rollout to help uh, our team members with further education to, to be more competitive, like the Amazons, you know, the HCAs, the hospital partners where we lose employees to. But, yeah, you know, uh, I, I think in a rural community hospitals where jobs are less or, or less available, where they're more scarce, we have a lot of success right now. Uh, I think our wages and, and the things in, the, in that market are holding us together. But then in cities like Atlanta, uh, Nashville, Houston, uh, the, you know, the major Florida cities where we're in a big metro. Uh, I mean, that's where I think we see our challenges today. So to uh, follow up on that, Chris, I mean, you had just said that, um, actually, both of you mentioned that it is a major issue across all lines and services, right? So what are what are some of the things when you mentioned getting kind of creative or, I mean, how do you go about creating a candidate pool? Yeah, absolutely. You know, for, I mean, for, for my group, it's about creativity. You got to create a, a culture uh, of awareness where people know it's positive. People know there's an incentive outside of just dollars to want to work there and stay there. You know, that's been the big push that I think we've been working as, you know, together as a group is developing that culture, that one HHS culture that, you know, we, we've been, we've, we've been over the last year pushing and emphasizing, uh, a lot of our employees come from word of mouth. You know, uh, someone refers someone who refers someone who refers someone and so on and so on. You know, we, we have a lot of employees in our, in our markets that came to work for us because they were, you know, referred by the neighbor, friend, someone from church. Uh, and when you develop that type of culture, that kind of esprit de corps where people want to come work for you, uh, based on what they hear, you know, from others in the community, that's how you build your pool. And, and, and I think that's how you build your pipeline. Because let's let's be frank, you know, this world and this service line, people will go work for other people for a dollar, two, three dollars more an hour. But when you have a great culture and you have opportunities, you have education, you have an environment that's fun to work at, you're going to have better retention. Yeah, and the further that, I mean, Chris really, really hit the nail home about the culture and us driving that uh, for existing business, you know. When we when we develop new partnerships, uh, when we do when we don't have that culture quite yet established, um, there are other tools, social media blasts that we do. Again, we have uh, recruiters that we could deploy um, that help assist in that, and then ensuring that we are actively recruiting in the community. So uh, when I say that, you know, just as an example, when I'm out at a restaurant eating as I travel, I'm leaving my business card behind for folks. Uh, even running into hotel housekeepers uh, in the hallways when I'm checking out and in them business cards and then the expectation is that our managers are doing the same in their communities, going to churches um, and again, community outreach programs, et cetera. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. I was actually going to, going to ask about that active recruiting approach. So I'm glad you touched on that. Cause I think that's a huge, huge part of, and I, I've heard you talk about a JB. I've heard Bobby, our CEO talk about um, just recruiting as kind of a, an effort for all of us across the company uh, that it's, it's on us to, to take part in that and, and to be active with that. And I think that's a, a huge part of it. Um, as far as if you, if you're talking to, um, 
you know, just a just a hospital administrator who's dealing with um, whether it be high turnover or competing, like you said, Chris, in the in the major cities um, with other job opportunities, um, and, and they're dealing with these pressures. Um, you know, I know we just ran through a bunch of solutions, but but what are you what are you saying to them in terms of um, consulting them on how to address that? Yeah, you know, uh, there's. I like to do a root cause analysis with with most of my administrators that are having these problems. You know, you, you got to get down to the down to the core. Well, what is happening? Why is it happening? Uh, it, are they leaving you for travel work, PRN work? You know, two dollars more an hour. Culture. I mean, and these are things that as as a uh, as a management company, we provide those solutions. You know, we go in there and say, hey, you're an in house program. And you're only 60% staffed. Why is that? Or, hey, your, your current vendor isn't meeting these expectations. Well, what's going on on that side? And, and, you know, for Jonathan and I, that's, that's what we do a lot of, you know, we go to markets, we do, uh, root cause analysis to problems, we provide solutions. But, you know, to our administrators, that's, that's what they want in a partner. They want a partner that provides not just hypothetical answers, but solutions to their challenges. You know, and when they have that type of relationship, you know, uh, it's a better life for them and, and it's, and it's good for us. And, and I think that's what we do very well. Yeah, I think Chris hit it on the head. I mean, it's, it's truly about being a solution based partner and that that's a lot of what we do in, in, in and every day. So just follow up on that real quick. When you go in and you say you, you talk with an administrator and you try to find the root cause, do you do, do you like interview team members? Do you go around to different departments in the facility and kind of, you know, talk with the department heads or how do you guys go about that? It's a combination of both. I mean, we, we have team member town hall meetings. You know, uh, I, when we're rounding, we actively engage team members. Uh, when we round on the floor, mm-hmm. uh, we're speaking to frontline nursing staff to ensure that we're partnering with them, speaking to nurse leaders. It's kind of a, a, a collaboration to ensure not only that that our culture is aligned um, with H, one HHS, but also that we're aligned with the hospital culture because we want to blend seamlessly with that organization as well. It's super important um, that we do that in that partnership. Yeah, you know, JB is absolutely correct. When, when I was an administrator, Amy, I, I would tell you that uh, I got to work with a lot of vendors, you know, people that would service my hospitals. And uh, mm-hmm. the one thing that really stood out about HHS and, and why I asked to come work for you all, you know, and, and decided to come work for you all is well, we are a people company. Uh, you know, when JB and I and the leadership go into hospitals, we look for opportunities to engage leaders, team members, hourly team members, and, you know, to build our program, to build our culture. Uh, you know, and I've worked for others where it's it's financial driven. You know, they're going to look at what the impact is on P&L and, and, and their bottom line. We don't do that, you know, and I think that's what sets us apart. I think that's what helps us build that kind of culture is that we we really focus on people in the operation. And, uh, you know, to, to JV's point, that's that's kind of what we do well. Yeah, when you have leaders like uh, Christy McConnell at Fry, I mean, she she does a great job establishing a culture, you know, at her facility. She does a rock star of the week in her weekly spotlight report uh, that goes to the customer, actually. Um, you know, she has an employee of the month that she does on her own. She celebrates birthdays and she's a servant leader. She gets in and works with the team. Uh, and having that servant leader attitude and just simply saying thank you on a daily, she's been able to establish a great culture at her facility. That's great. I, I think that a lot of the um, <clears throat> the conversation around this too um, probably comes down to to wages um, 
and wages is a huge part of um, recruiting and retention and staffing. Um, and that's just a common challenge that I know um, is being faced, um, obviously, across the industry. Um, if you're in a situation or, or uh, there's an administrator in a situation where um, wage rates, um, you know, their, their wage rates are maybe below market average um, and there's an inability to to meet that for whatever reason. Um, what are ways that an, an administrator or hospital can address that issue and still find ways to, um, you know, either um, get creative and fund those dollars or, or lean into some of the other things you guys have talked about? I'll let JP take that one because he's uh, he's done quite a bit of that. <laughs> Got about 400,000 400, of those. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, with, with wages, yeah, you can't hide from wages. You know, I, I referenced that it's not always one silver bullet, but um, we do do market wage analysis. Uh, we provide those in a, in a beautiful layout that uh, force ranks where we stand amongst our competition in the market for that specific hospital or, or partnership. And uh, the conversation does have to be tackled. Um, we do provide a significant amount of data to back that up. Um, once we provided the wage analysis to them, uh, we come to the table with, uh, with solutions. And that, again, it doesn't have to be us asking our partner for money. Um, it can be cost neutral or a portion of uh, funding from them and a cost neutral approach through finding efficiencies within the job that, uh, that might might be there or offsetting things. Maybe we bring another solution to the table, uh, like lending utilization management that picks up uh, finances for them. And then we use those dollars to help fund uh, wage increases. Again, being solution-based and thinking outside the box. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And it kind of, it kind of leads into what we've been talking about is like you said, like you both had mentioned about being a, a people-based company, a solutions-based company, kind of, could be, you know, shows benefits of having a strong partner that a facility could utilize, right? Or let's, or outsourcing, for example, because we are able to find that, right? We can able to get creative, find ways to help offset costs or, you know, maybe spread an FTE here or there or things like that. And Chris, you were a former CEO and administrator. So when you looked at, you know, exploring an outsource model versus doing in-house, for example, what, what are in some ways that an outsource model could help? Would it just be as simple as offering more solutions or is there more to it than just that? Oh, there's a lot more to it. You know, uh, there's guys, there's a lot of liability in, in healthcare administration, the, the operation of running a hospital. And, you know, when I went through my MBA program or my MH, uh, my master's in healthcare management, you're not taught the liabilities of support services. You know, the, the objective, of a lot of these curriculums that are out there is to teach you the, the business piece the, the legal piece, you know, and, and a lot of those and, and a lot of those things that go into running a hospital. Um, I think I might have covered maybe, you know, two, three weeks in, in, in my couple of years of studies at, at the postgraduate level in support services. So for a lot of administrators, uh, you know, they're worried about the day to day operation of their clinical staff, the actual patient care of, of patients, you know, physicians, making sure they have nursing making sure they have ancillary support to, to, to help with, you know, running the OR, running imaging. And these are the big challenges CEOs, COs, CNOs, they, you know, they face on a daily basis. If you can outsource the liability of, you know, support services, that's one less thing you worry about. That's one less thing on your mind because, quite frankly, you know, we do a lot as an organization to prepare a hospital for 
CMS inspections, joint commission, you know, just monthly education for all team members, you know, leadership. That all takes resources, that all takes money, that all takes time. And those senior C-suite folks, you know, they're, they're worried about taking care of people and having the resources, the clinical resources to take care of people. So, you know, when you can sell that liability and, and take on a company like us, that, that's going to keep you aligned, keep you in compliance. I mean, that's sometimes the best, the best option. You know, they don't have time to go worry about, hey, I'm, I'm short, you know, 20 housekeepers. Where do I go find 20 housekeepers? They're worried about, hey, I'm short, you know, 20 nurses and I need these nurses to run the ICUs. Uh, where do I find these clinical licensed professionals? And that's what they're dealing with. And when they have companies like us, we're helping balancing out the house so that they don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. So when you say liabilities, you're talking about the added stress. The added stress, the, the, the management of the building. You know, there's a lot that goes into a hospital. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a lot, you know, there's a lot of square footage in there that needs to be addressed. And, you know, that liability of making sure some company's doing that for you, you know, not just the, the day-to-day operation, the cleaning, but also keeping you in compliance. You know, if you're not in compliance, you know, you get fined. So there, there's, there's that liability of that too. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it's an overall, you know, it, it, over, overall, when you when you outsource, you reduce that stress, you reduce that, you know, that that impact that allows you the time to go focus on other things. Not only that, you're picking up expertise. So you're picking up you're, you're partnering with an expert in the field um, and and bringing additional resources. So if they do have opportunity uh, in in the department and then we can bring additional resources in from from anywhere in the country, really, um, you know, when, when we had a hurricane. A couple of years ago, within 24 hours of Hurricane Michael hitting one of our partner facilities, we had 20 people deployed into the hospital working to get it, to help get it reopened. So you you pick up That's that awesome. additional bonus and benefits uh, when you outsource with a with a vendor. And it seems also like I think the framing of of um, the solutions outsourcing brings is important because the whenever as it relates to staffing. Um, and recruiting for for hourly positions, especially in EVS, um, you know, I think it's it's clear that there's no there's no silver bullet. There's nothing that you're going to be able to flip a switch. If you do this, you'll never have this problem again. It's a constant challenge that you're having to manage and overcome. And outsourcing isn't something that operates as that silver bullet, but it brings in someone as a partner to help manage that for you. Like you said, Chris, take that off your plate. Is, am I right in thinking about it that way? Yeah, there's, there's a lot of resources that go to, you know, to, to managing the hospital. And you're right. You know, we're going to talk about HR, the onboarding process. Your internal team now has to manage that as well. And with turnover as high as it is in this industry, you know, uh, you're limited on your budgets, on, you know, on their P&Ls of what they can run in an HR department. So when you have a team like ours, you know, uh, Jonathan and, and I, you know, we, we have an infrastructure of regional support, uh, operators, recruiters, a home office that can help with the expert, you know, to expedite the onboarding, you know, the, the hiring of a team member. It's going through our channels, our funnels where we're set up to do that. And we're, and, you know, and it's not impacting the hospital to that level where they're having to add either additional resources or find ways to attract the talent that we're finding because we already have that in place. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It seems like it would be a seamless choice in some regards, especially when things are so challenging, you know? Absolutely. Yep. JB, you mentioned something 
earlier that I don't think we, we dove into, but, um, retention being probably the biggest part of successfully staffing and not, not dealing with this challenge as much. Can you speak on that a little bit and what, you know, how do you improve and maintain retention and using that as a strategy to help kind of solve the, the staffing, you know, turnover challenge? Yeah. So like I said, uh, retention is the best recruitment strategy. So uh, you do that, you know, Chris, Chris and I both talked about this earlier by having a positive culture in the department. And I know that word gets tossed around a lot, uh, but doing, doing the extra things, um, I referenced Chrissy McConnell from Fry um, in her spotlight report that goes to our partner. She has a rock star of the week and celebrates that. Um, she does an employee of the month. She does birthday celebrations. They have potlucks, again, building the team and the culture in that department. Um, she's a servant leader. I think that goes a long way. And then simply saying thank you to folks uh, when they do a good job. It doesn't always have to be corrective actions or correct, corrective behavior. Um, we do have quality audits and inspections that we do have to do. But thank, thank folks for the hard work that they do. I know when Chris and I rounds, and I've, I've seen Scott do it, um, when he rounds, we're thanking team members for the hard work that they do because it is, it's hard work and they come to work every day to do it. But again, that that also has to align with the hospital culture as well. So, um, or our partners culture, we, we need to blend seamlessly in with them. Uh, you don't see us running around with logoed uh, outfits on because we want to blend in with the hospital and their organization as well. I actually wanted to, to follow up JB with you, um, because you started as an assistant director and with HHS and then worked your way up, you know, one of the things that another benefit of outsourcing is that there is that career advancement, right? There is that opportunity for career growth, for moving growth sideways to another account, right? If, if it's in-house, your ceiling is that, you know, unless you're moving to a whole different organization. So can you speak on that a little bit? Is that something that you find is effective for, recruiting, I guess, more in the management realm, but even seeing hourly to salary, you know, promotions, you know, how effective is that and bringing that up and talking about that and using that as a strategy? It's absolutely effective. I mean, it, it, everyone wants to grow in their career and, and, and advance, um, you know, they, they look for that and you'll see our hourly salary. It doesn't matter. I think we pride ourselves on identifying um, individuals that are in the hourly ranks that, that can move up and, and want to move up. Uh, Chris referenced this earlier. We, you know, we have Southwest University that, that we partner with now um, that helps give uh, educational platform to also help them advance. I mean, and if it's not with us, uh, but it'll still better their lives um, for growth, maybe somewhere else. Uh, but to your point, well, I did come up as an assistant director. Uh, got uh, we, we prided ourselves in, in hiring supervisors. Uh, from our hourly staff. And I've seen a lot of those individuals move the whole way up to director roles. Um, our COO came up as a, he was a floor tech originally. Um, you know, so that is something that as an organization, I think we pride ourselves in the ability to offer that opportunity for our team members, no matter what position they're currently in. When you started as an AD, did you have that path in mind of where you are now? I did when I when I started as assistant director, I, I I wanted to grow within the organization, and I opened up my ability to relocate to speed that process up. Um, so I, I moved into a director role within about a year, uh, and then I progressed from you know a small job site to larger job sites, and then eventually into a regional role. But it was always my goal to uh, advance within the organization, and you know hopefully I'll retire from here. Awesome. 
you know, John, here's the thing that, uh, that we talk to a lot of our junior leaders about, man, the way our company grows on a year to year basis, and this is the place to be. I mean, you are going to grow and you're going to continue to, to, to build up, uh, but you got to be flexible and you got to be willing to do it. Touching on some of the benefits, I would think one of the other ones is in, in promoting team members and whatnot would be ongoing training and development and, you know, things like that. So is that a big talking point with customers and things like that? Um, some of our customers, for example, that are having issues with staffing and, and retention and whatnot, is training and, and development and moving on to leadership roles, does that become, is that a pretty hot topic right now too? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you're in-house, you know, you and you're the EVS director, the linen director, you might have the opportunity, depending on the size of the hospital, to become you know, a VP of support services, if, you, or if you're well-rounded in all the background of support. If you're not, you know, there, there's not much advancement after that. I mean, you get, you get stuck in a, in, in a role that you're going to have to want to be or move out. You know, with us, we, we have that education background. We have the home office training. We have, you know, the, the one-on-one mentorship between directors, the VPs, the VPs, EVPs, and all the way up the chain. I mean, that, that's, and the way we structure, you know, our training grounds that, that for improvement, I mean, you don't find that in-house. And for folks that are support service driven or that's, you know, the career field they're going to stay with, uh, you know, this working for a company like ours is the, is, is the, is the sweet spot. I mean, that's, that's where you want to be if you want to continue to grow and, and move into an executive rank, you know, down the line and, and be able to manage big picture. Uh, you know, we have that infrastructure while some in-house programs don't. I always thought one of the coolest things that um, our company does is our chatter for all the other EVS directors and VPs, you know, the chatter that we do on Salesforce. I always thought that is so neat. And it seems, I mean, I, I'm on there all the time, obviously. And I just love to see how so many of the directors will ask questions, say somebody in Georgia will post a question. And next thing you know, there's a couple answers from directors from all over the country, just to add another resource for them, right? Another help, which if you're in-house, you don't have that. You don't have that. No, right. not at all. Exactly. Or they celebrate milestones and victories at each of their facilities. You know, like, like JB, you were mentioning the employee of the month or birthdays or things like that. I mean, I think it's neat when it's not recognized just only in the facility, but when you have the, the network of other facilities all over, you can share it across everybody, you know, company wide. I think, I think that's a huge benefit too. It's, it's funny you mentioned that. Cause I think I get tagged almost weekly on a post from you a do. director or an assistant <laughs> yeah. director celebrating yeah. something, whether it's, you know, injury free days and hitting a milestone with that or a team birthday. I got a lot of them for housekeeping week. Um, and, and I do my best to go in and comment and, and, and thank the team for what they're doing each and every time. But uh, yeah, about every week I get tagged in something. <laughs> <laughs> I see you tagged a lot too, Chris. Yeah, Amy, I'll tell you, you know, what you just said a few minutes ago, uh, when I had it in house and my EVS director had no solution, you know, I would go upstairs and pull out my phone book and say, Hey, I remember this guy at, you know, HHS and call him. Hey man, I have a problem. Can you help me, you know, try to walk me through a, you know, a solution. And when you're in house, you don't have that, you know, the end of the line is usually an associate administrator or a, or a VP of support. And, you know, they're, they're managing the book of business. They're managing the program, you know, but they might not always have the specifics to troubleshoot like we do. So. 
And we pride ourselves on our leadership and our team in totality. I mean, you, when you hear about HHS in the industry, the first thing you hear about is, is not only the quality of our programs, but our people. So I, I kind of thinking as we kind of come to a close on this, you know, obviously with the, with the pandemic and we've been through, we think we're out of it, we're back in it. We think we're out of it, we're back in it. But I'm just curious in terms of its impact on staffing and it has obviously been, been huge. Um, and staffing was even before, before the pandemic, a, a, a topic, a hot topic, something that was a challenge, but do you see in the foreseeable future, um, like a swing back to pre pandemic times, or is this something that's forever different because people's perception of healthcare and the public is just different? Like what, is, what are y'all's thoughts on, on going forward, how staffing, you know, how, how COVID has changed the staffing challenge? Yeah, you know, John, uh, I think the challenge JB and I face all the time is healthcare changes. It's changing every 90 to, you know, 90 days to six months. Uh, the, the platform itself for patient delivery is changing. And then for, you know, our team members, for us, for, you know, Jonathan and I, our challenges is that we lose team members every time there's a new challenge in the market. And unfortunately, and we're seeing something different every 90 days to, to six months. And, you know, over the last 18 months, I, I think since or 18 plus months since COVID uh, was was declared here in the United States. I mean, we've seen we've seen a lot of change in the way we, we have to operate and the way we manage team members. And I don't see it stabilizing to, to John, to your point, to, you know, pre-COVID in the near future. I know that it's, it's going in waves yeah, you, you know, uh, it just it's it's changing, it's evolving. It, it it evolves so much that you know, JB and I, that's that's all we do is have to change our game plans just to just to keep up. I think the initial the initial COVID outbreak or the pandemic, uh, you saw a mass exodus of folks because everyone was scared. Um, they were scared to work in healthcare. Uh, they were scared of the virus. Um, you know, the, every day was evolving on a new a new uh, platform or how, how to address this, how to clean this. Does it stay, does it stay alive on this surface for X amount of time? Plus there were supply shortages, uh, PPE shortages. And, you know, that fear was, was perpetuated throughout. So not only our industry, but all industries, I think we've gotten past that point where we know how to handle uh, this, this pandemic from a cleaning standpoint or a management standpoint uh, but we do have to continually, as as Chris mentioned, it, it's still changing. We're still getting waves. So I think the continual education that we provide, not only through our learning development team, but also our management team and our and our partners, um, we have to keep reinforcing that with our teams to subside any fears that they may or may not have about the ongoing uh, pandemic. I mean, if we're being candid, the the odds of you getting it in the in the hospital are far less than out in the general public uh, because you are provided with the appropriate protection. Mm-hmm. Right. It might be the new normal. I mean, I know we all, every time you hear that cliche, you just roll your eyes, but it's so, so true. I mean, it could be our new normal. Amy, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I spent many, I, I spent a lot of time overseas uh, while in the U.S. Army. And the stressors I think that I had as, as a leader last year and to this year, uh, dealing with COVID and the unknowns of what this thing was doing you know, to, to people, to, to our hospital systems, to our employees. I, 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 and I think I've told Jonathan this many times, I had more stressors in the last 18 months 
than I did in my multiple tours in Iraq. Uh, just, I, it's just so many unknowns, so many articles, so many publications, so many opinions of, you know, what, what this really does. How do you protect yourself that, you know, just hearing the comments, the concerns, seeing the faces of our team members in COVID units day in and day out, you know, uh, the stressors of that and having to be in there. I mean, by far outweighed, you know, a lot of the things I got to see overseas, you know, overseas. It's overwhelming. Wow. Do you find that also, um, you know, I talked to, to some, some directors and, and a lot of them, I mean, just as with any service job, they'll tell you, you know, you're having your own personal why is so important to having longevity in, in this career. And has there been any, to, to flip it on its head, any positive in terms of there's more meaning, there's more purpose behind what we do? Like, I know there's obviously been the more challenges and fear, which has led to, you know, uh, like you mentioned, uh, Jonathan, like an exodus, but in terms of people maybe rallying around and finding more purpose, has that been something that's been experienced at all? I would say yes. I mean, we, you, part of what we do is, is instill the why in our team. I mean, ultimately we're all, it doesn't matter who you are in that hospital. You're there for that one person that's laying in the bed. Um, that that's our sole purpose. It doesn't matter if you're a food, food service worker if you're a trash tech, if you're a manager, if you're the CEO of the hospital, your purpose is to ensure that that patient is taken care of and they make it home safely. Um, so yeah, we, we do instill the why in everyone. I think COVID probably would reinforce that with folks that, that did stay actually. Um, and I, I, I can think of a team member at Capital Regional. She was the first one to volunteer to go clean the COVID rooms. And she set the standard and the example for the rest of the rest of the team as the population surged to well, well above 50 percent of the hospital. So, um, you know, you had those team members that that demonstrate the why and the purpose and that feeds and gets gets the other team on board as well. So it's it is infectious. Yeah. That would even say, you know, even as leaders, when COVID first happens, we were doing our best to get out into the hospitals ourselves to be there with our teams. Um, you know, as an executive leader with our organization, it was never our expectation that we stayed at home and managed from the house. We all got out in the hospitals uh, to ensure that you know, our teams were, were being seen, they're feeling supported, and our partners were feeling supported. That's a great point. Um, JB, you had mentioned that um, about wanting to make sure the teams feel supported and whatnot. And I just wanted to backtrack a little bit, but when you're talking about the culture and how important that is and instilling support in the teams and the cohesiveness of a team and all that, what, um, how does a leader say an EVS director or, you know, food service director, what, whichever service line it is, how would you, how do they go about making a housekeeper, which is not the most glamorous, but an extremely important role make them feel included and such a big part of our operations of the program. Yeah. I'll tell you by acknowledging, you know, when Jonathan and I round in hospitals, our EVPs, our, our, our VP, Scott, Bobby, you know, when they round in hospitals, they acknowledge the team member. It's not a, Hey, how are you doing? It's, you know, you address the team member by their first name, you, you pump fist and, and then you ask them about, you know, what they're doing, how they're impacting patient care. And then, you know, what uh, What our boss, Scott, likes to do is he'll ask nurses in the area, do you know your housekeeper? And when they turn around and say, hey, yeah, I know Maria really well. You know, she's here 
she's she's part of our team she goes to huddles then that solidifies that uh you know the the people we have fighting the front lines are tied to their units are tied to their nurses and when you hear stuff like that that's that's when you know you know you know that they're being included but then when we go and, and we do those rounds and we acknowledge them we you know we 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 praise them you know we we chat with them uh it, it, it makes them feel special. You know, it makes them feel part of our company, our team. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's when you have the COO or the CEO of HHS overall, you know, thanking them for their service personally by their first name. Uh, it, I think it's very impactful in the way we do business. Yeah. For me, I mean, I, we're a family owned organization and I've always treated my team as part of my family. Um, when I was an assistant director, when I was a director, I uh, have several ADs that are now directors, or I'm sorry, they're assistant directors for me when I was a director, and and they've they've carried that message down to their teams now. So just being a part of a family, again, being run as a family-owned organization, I think goes a long way demonstrating that culture inclusivity uh, for everyone. I think that goes a long way, and people feel it when you're genuine. People will quickly... Um, understand if you're being disingenuous and they will read that very quickly. Yep. I would agree. Well, we, we've really appreciated having you, Jonathan, you, Chris on, and you guys, um, just leadership in our company has been outstanding and, um, it's been awesome to get your guys insight, um, just on what's going out in the field. Um, just the challenges different people are experiencing and, and how you guys are, are working to, uh, to address that and, and overcome it as best you can. So we appreciate your time and, uh, and everything you're doing. Absolutely. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. Well, that was awesome. It was really good to have uh, JB and Chris both on, um, and it was just really good to get get a lot of their insight. I'm curious, Amy, what what kind of your thoughts were? What was your favorite kind of takeaway? I think my favorite part was when they were just both talking about creating a positive culture and a great culture for you know staffing and hiring and retention, and and it's so important. This little stuff of being sure to recognize somebody by calling them their first name, giving them a fist bump, uh, you know, eye contact or the little things like recognizing somebody's birthday can go a really long way to help create that culture. And it's so true. You know, the cliche says the little things matter the most. And in this case, something subtle like that may not be so subtle, but it is really important. What did you think? No, I kind of felt the same thing. I thought that, um, you know, in in talking about all this stuff, it was kind of clear that a lot of it comes down to just the leadership that you have and, mm-hmm. um, the leadership both, you know, for us as a, as an outsource provider, you know, the regional and executive leadership, but also, I mean, even more importantly, uh, the onsite leadership and the things that we do and that mm-hmm. Chris and Jonathan do to develop onsite leaders, uh, to pour into mm-hmm. them, to help them develop into, uh, leaders who can establish that kind of culture. But, but honestly, what it comes down to is, is are your leaders engaged? Are they, um, genuine in their care for, for their employees and their mm-hmm. teams? Um, and when you have that kind of leader in place, um, that just creates a much better environment for you to be able to retain, uh, to recruit people are wanting to reference mm-hmm. their friends to come work because it's such a great place to mm-hmm. work. And so everything kind of trickles down from there. Um, but yeah, I thought that was, that was huge and probably my biggest takeaway. I think it's so obvious that both Chris and Jamie are very passionate about what they do and they believe in it. And, you know, they're really, that's one of their strengths as leaders, I think, and why they're in the positions they are is because they have the respect of their peers and they work really hard at it. And I also loved when they talked about 
last year with the COVID that they even went away from their own families and went to our hospitals to be with our teams and, you know, meet and help the other directors and clean in the facilities when needed and do whatever, roll up their sleeves and do whatever they needed to do. And that says a lot about leaders too, right? You lead by example and that spoke volumes. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you everybody for, for joining us for this conversation about staffing and recruiting and healthcare. Really appreciate it. Yeah. And thanks again, Chris and JB for joining us and bringing your expertise. And thank you all for listening. We hope you've learned some insight today. And be sure to follow us and tune in for our next episode with another healthcare leader, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for more tips in healthcare, you can follow the HHS blog at www.hhs1.com. And we'll see you guys next time.